0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today very good morning everybody this is squawk box let's get into your headlines u.s markets start the week strong with the nasdaq closing at a fresh all-time high while asian markets extend the rally and Chinese tech giants continue to recover from record lows. The FDA, the U.S. drug regulator, gives full COVID vaccine approval to Pfizer and BioNTech, leading President Biden to call for companies to encourage workers to get vaccinated. If you're a business leader, a nonprofit leader, a state or local leader,
1: who has been waiting for full FDA approval to require vaccinations, I'm calling you now to do that, require it. Do what I did last month, require your employees to get vaccinated
0: or face strict requirements.
2: The U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris reaffirms America's commitment to Asian allies in the face of China's growing clout, saying Beijing continues to coerce in the South China
3: Sea. We will invest our time and our energy to fortify our key partnerships, including with Singapore and Vietnam.
2: German tech giant Bosch opens a new semiconductor plant in the eastern city of Dresden as board member Harald Kroger tells CNBC exclusively that industries can no longer rely on the old supply chains.
4: What we need is having more stock uh, on some parts. Some of those semiconductors need six months to be produced so you cannot run on a system that has uh, like every two weeks you get a new order uh, that doesn't work.
0: And President Biden will decide on extending the troop withdrawal deadline from Afghanistan after an emergency G7 meeting later today. But the Taliban has warned the U.S. against staying past August 31st.
2: Yeah, really interesting session yesterday. Uh, The US markets, as you saw, were out of the gates, uh, in the green very, very quickly yesterday. It didn't particularly build on the gains uh, that were made in the early part of the session. In fact, the Dow gave back a little bit of ground from its high. But on the total NYSE, you might be interested, know: 2,282 stocks rallied uh, and 1,062 declined. There were about 196, actually, that stayed flat. So by and large, Pretty strong stuff. You saw the Nasdaq at new record levels. You saw the S&P hitting a record level in session as well. Uh, And the question is why? Well, obviously, after a little bit of weakness in the previous week, uh, it left buyers again thinking, "Well, is there an opportunity here to do what we've done many, many times before throughout this crisis and buy the dip?" And obviously, the answer by the end of the session was absolutely yes. One of the big catalysts uh, came from the next board, actually, with the likes of Pfizer. BioNTech, Moderna uh, rallying of just, as we saw uh, in the headlines there, uh, the full approval of uh, Pfizer's COVID treatment as well. And very interesting looking at a whole host of corporates, a lot of them in the extraction arena, uh, requiring employees, sometimes new employees, certain field employees, uh, to have full vaccination in order to take up their position uh, at their workplace as well. Pfizer putting on 2.5% after that. Full uh, approval from U.S. authorities as opposed to emergency approval. Uh, BioNTech 9.6% higher. Moderna putting on 7 0.55%. Treasury's market, well, it is very interesting in some ways. In other ways, uh, we keep getting a lot of experts on this channel saying, look, it is not a very good barometer anymore or to price off other assets. So when we look at this 127 handle on the 10-year paper as well, there's a couple of factors going in there. One, uh, the lack of August liquidity is leading to a few concerns on that front, that there's just not a lot uh, of liquidity in that underlying market. Two, so many people are forced into this product that actually uh, it isn't as a say, a good barometer uh, of real risk in the Treasury's market. And three, of course, we're just waiting for Jay Powell, aren't we? And I was looking at Mohamed el uh, formerly former PIMCO's, um, editorial in the FT, saying he would advise Jay Powell to be brave in his protestation. Of course, el does come from a certain angle. He has previously said about his concerns uh, about putting pension um, money uh, into the Treasury market and vice versa, putting Treasuries into uh, your pension pod as well uh, due to these stunningly low historic yields of 127. Of course, here in Europe, uh, a huge tranche, trillions of euros worth uh, of Treasuries, or I beg pardon, uh, bond markets locally trading in negative yields. Uh, Let's have a look at the dollar crosses as well. Again, the other factor yesterday for a lot of products, including commodities, was the fact that we saw the dollar decline. The dollar index fell, I think, circa 0.6 of 1%, having rallied about 1.1% last week. And that was a catalyst for these moves. And these are big moves yesterday on the WTI and Brent very, very large moves to the upside. At one point, every time I looked at Brent, it was a different handle on it from 66 to 7 to 8, at 69 at one point as well. But we are building on that as well, 0.3% uh, of a percent higher today. Uh, WTI crude also trading higher at 65 spot 8. Let's have a very quick look at the Asian indices and just, just confirm uh, that the rally is still in place. The ASX 200, real concern uh, in Australia and indeed New Zealand about lockdowns, about low vaccination rates, about what this means economically going forward as well. I mean, I shouldn't say this, but I thought one of the more uh, humorous stories yesterday was the fact that we have a new trade ambassador here in the United Kingdom for Australia. I haven't mentioned it to Jeff, but I'm sure he saw the name of the uh, the very eminent person who's going to be the new trade envoy. You didn't see it? No, no. no. Oh, I'll hold that one back a second. I'll All just right say then. quickly, the Hang Seng ah. up 1.6%. The Shanghai Composite up 1%. So who can you think, and I know we've got some very serious stories to do, but I'll just yeah. take a step back now. Who do you think is the new... Trade ambassador for Great Britain with Australia. Somebody who can really take on that trade mantle and push forward excellent two-way trade between the magnificent country that is Australia and Great Britain. Go on. He's a crossbench peer. Mm -hmm. Ian Botham. Ian Botham. Now, I know a lot of you out there don't know who he is, but anyone who's ever seen the sport of cricket, which includes the entire continent of India, uh, know exactly who he is. (laughs) Ian
0: Botham. It's an interesting choice. It's a very interesting choice. What yeah. do you think? It's going to work.
2: Uh, Certainly, be I a, think they right, okay. Really, I, I think Ian oh. Botham has done some magnificent things in his career as a cricketer and yeah. as a man who is a, an advocate for certain charities as well. Yeah. I don't know what he knows about international business between Australia and Great Britain. I'm sure, he's a fast
0: learner. He's gonna to have to be in the second Smart man,
2: he's a, you know, he's a brilliant commentator, brilliant yeah. player in his time, fantastic charity raiser, I think. But I don't know what he knows about the nuances. I don't know what he cares about the nuances of international trade and business. But yeah.
0: If it works, it works. We'll wait and we will watch. (laughs) Uh, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris has uh, reiterated the Biden administration's promise of free and open Asia-Pacific region. Speaking in Singapore during her official visit to Southeast Asia, the vice president said Washington had a, quote, enduring interest in the region and will work to protect it from China's offensive.
3: As we face threats to that order... I am here to reaffirm our commitment to that vision, to strengthen it, and to make sure it addresses the challenges of today and of tomorrow. To do that, we will invest our time and our energy to fortify our key partnerships, including with Singapore and Vietnam. Our partnerships will be grounded in candor, openness, inclusiveness, shared interests and mutual benefits.
0: Kamala Harris, well, let's get out to Rosanna, who's with us from Singapore now and uh, obviously has been listening in to all of these speeches. And the vice president has been talking a lot while she's been in Singapore. Um, How are the comments going down there?
1: It's an interesting one, Jeff, because as you well know, Singapore has to toe a very delicate line when it comes to balancing relations with both Beijing and Washington at the same time. And China really was the word that we've been dancing around for the last 24 hours or so, but it really entered stage left in this policy speech that we had from Kamala Harris, Vice President of the US, in the last two hours or so. She was talking about the interconnectedness and interdependence of the US and the South uh, East Asia, Indo-Pacific region, of which there is $2 trillion worth of two-way trade that was back in 2019, she cited. But of course, it requires freedom of the seas, livelihoods, she said, of millions of billions of dollars of trade that flow through these sea lanes every day, and that is how China entered the conversation. Take a listen.
3: In the South China Sea, we know that Beijing continues to coerce, to intimidate, and to make claims to the vast majority of the South China Sea. These unlawful claims have been rejected by the 2016 arbitral tribunal decision. And Beijing's actions continue to undermine the rules-based order and threaten the sovereignty of nations. The United States stands with our allies and partners in the face of these threats.
1: So there it was, very bold and in your face at last. And that is the headline many news organisations are going to be picking up on around the world. Uh, Harris also saying that countries shouldn't be forced to pick a side. And I do think that was a nod to hosts Singapore as well. Uh, Singapore's Foreign Minister uh, Vivian Balakrishnan over the weekend saying Singapore would be useful but not be made use of. And interesting to note, for example, the South China Morning Post running some analysis of Chinese social media users in the last 24 hours uh, questioning... uh, Uh, Singapore's hosting of Kamala Harris at this time, calling Singapore one comment as it China's backyard. But of course, uh, the internet is full of comments. It's what is being said diplomatically that's of concern today. And uh, Kamala Harris saying a big part of 21st century history will be written about this region. That was word for word what she said aboard this USS Tulsa naval ship in Changi uh, naval base yesterday as well. As she spoke about vaccines critically, talking about the fact that the US has donated 100 110 million vaccines worldwide, of which 23 million they've donated to Southeast Asia. And she was keen to point out that those were free doses with no strings attached. Those were her words, not mine. Now, complicated geopolitical uh, issues as well, of course. Afghanistan, She topped the agenda with that, given how many questions she faced yesterday. On Myanmar as well, though, she talked about values of human rights, saying that the U.S. condemns the military coup and stands by and committed to help the people of Myanmar. We didn't get much more information on that. Now, she does head to Vietnam tomorrow, first sitting U.S. vice president to visit that country, actually. And of course, Vietnam, incredibly important in the supply chain story, the export of semiconductor chips, but also stakes those claims in the South China Sea as well. And just on a final note, on the Kamala Harris signature piece as well, let's not forget that this was her way of saying, I'm in Asia and this is my big speech. This was an important follow-up for her Guatemala-Mexico trip, which was actually her first overseas foreign trip earlier this year, which was not brilliantly received. So people saying this is her chance to make up for that. And let's not forget that U.S. uh, President Joe Biden visited Singapore in 2013 when he was vice president. Now he's in the big seat. So it'll be interesting to see analysis of Kamala Harris's speech to see whether it could portend a similar future for her. Excellent
2: work. Thank you very much indeed for that. Um, We've got a deal going on uh, where Santander Consumer USA Holdings is agreeing to be bought by Santander Holdings USA. Um, It looks like a a shuffling of the assets, to be fair. But anyway, I'll just read you what it says here. Santander Consumer USA Holdings today announced that SC and its majority shareholder, Santander Holdings USA, have entered into a definitive agreement where Shusha, which is the latter, uh, will acquire SC for $41. $12.5 5 per share in cash, representing a total equity value of $12.7 billion. The transaction space to close in the fourth quarter. And um, we'll do some more work on that one as well. So
0: uh, just very briefly, I mean, I, like you, I'm sort of scrabbling just to see what the real import of this is to uh, existing Santander shareholders. And it, it seems to me that, OK, so this is the consumer business in the United States of Santander, which is largely involved in auto financing and other very direct to consumer loans. Now, why you would choose to take it private at this stage, I guess, perhaps because you feel that it's not appropriately valued as part of the listed business, and there is an opportunity for Santander Holdings, part of the larger bank uh, that we talk about all the time here in Europe, capitalizing on some of that unrealized value perhaps by Taking the business private. But mm. again, you know, we're just working around the edges on this story at the moment. And perhaps, given what we've seen in terms of the availability of capital in private markets at the moment, the argument being made that if you are in a business where you constantly are involved in providing credit to The auto finance business and other areas of consumer borrowing Mm. maybe it's a useful space to be to have it in the private sector rather than in the public sector at the moment and there is the benefit of that taking private to public shareholders there is some accretion
2: Um, They posted a 34% increase year-on-year, I see four weeks ago, on the auto-originations, positive recovery on NCOs as well, so the financing side of things looks pretty strong. Shusha currently owns 80.25% of Santander Consumer USA, apparently.
0: Uh, Let's move on and let's talk about some of the other stories that uh, we think you should know about. JD.com shares are soaring in Hong Kong today after the group reported better than expected second quarter earnings and waved off fears it could be impacted by Beijing's current crackdown on the sector. The online investor has uh, reinsured, sorry, the online retailer has reassured investors It's in compliance with data security laws and does not foresee any business impact from the new regulations. Net revenue rose 26% to 254 billion yuan for the period. Uh, Let's have a look at some of these uh, Chinese tech companies because they are rebounding at the moment. But I think there are a lot of reasons to feel that the, the land has not, Cleared, or or at least the fog of war, if I can use that term, has not cleared in terms of the potential risks around regulation for these technology companies. Oh, and I just would,
2: started, doesn't it?
0: I would refer uh, my learned friends to the ongoing Hangzhou investigations at the moment. Very interesting, what is happening there, and the self rectification process that Communist Party members are being encouraged to get involved in. To expose their mean? crimes, it, it means self
2: rectification process. It's, it's the Communist one of these, party
0: members absolutely. are being
2: asked to engage into was it what their crimes?
0: So, so what you need to do at this point is to admit, put your hand up, and admit if you've done anything wrong, and then you need to grass up the next person up the chain. But do you
2: know if you've done anything
0: <laughs> wrong? Well, you should do. I think
2: we all need to reread 1984 to confirm whether we know if we've done anything wrong or not. I, th- I
0: think 1984 has been a pretty good template for what well, we most things have happened in this century. I agree.
2: Uh, did you finish the read? Yeah, I oh, did. It's oh, yours. OK, it's me. Yeah, yeah, they took my name away. Uh, meanwhile, Chinese ride hailing at Didi Xuxing, uh has reportedly delayed its European expansion plans amid the regulatory crackdown in China, according to The Telegraph. Um, I think mean, it's the Daily Telegraph in the UK, isn't it? The company has paused its plans to challenge Uber on the continent for at least a year as it addresses concerns over the handling of here we go, user data. Uh, the company has not commented on the delay, but said it will continue to explore moving into new global markets. Well, China will step up supervision of accounting firms by increasing inspections as well as punishment for violations. Uh, Eunice Yun has more from Beijing.
1: China has unveiled new guidance
0: for accounting firms vowing zero tolerance for misconduct. Beijing says it will step up supervision, inspections and punishment for violations like offering accounting services without a license, selling auditing reports online and leaking confidential information. The guidelines also dictate that regulators should coordinate better on cross-border auditing issues, but didn't go into specifics. The announcement comes only days after the country's securities watchdog says it would foster an environment that supports working with the U.S. on auditing issues. Washington has threatened to delist Chinese companies that don't meet certain accounting standards. Eunice Yun, CMC Business News, Beijing. Uh, Coming up on the program, German engineering giant Bosch unveils its new billion euro semiconductor facility amid the global chip shortage. We will take you to Dresden live for an interview with the boss of the business. German technology group and auto supplier Bosch has opened the doors of its new semiconductor plant to the public. The billion euro plant, which started production just last month, is core to the business as well as the German government's strategy to become more self-sufficient in semiconductors as the sector continues to face supply bottlenecks. Speaking during a visit to the Bosch facility, the German president, Frank-Walter Steinmeier, told CNBC the plant comes at a crucial time for the industry, but added Germany and Europe are still a long way away from achieving digital independence. We've
4: come to understand the
0: complex challenges of building a semiconductor facility in Germany, above all, when the core production is based in Asia. that's why it's important and right that Bosch has chosen to invest here at a time when we see supply squeezes on international markets and where we are still far away from achieving digital sovereignty or sovereignty in semiconductor production. I think the current situation gives us an added push to be stronger in this field. Anetta, uh, who joins us now from uh, Dresden, has talked to some key people. And I think, um, Anetta, you had the opportunity as well for, to do a, a few important doorsteps. I mean, there's a very interesting aspect to this. We have a chip shortage for many idiosyncratic reasons, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to build your own chip facility. One assumes then The German manufacturers are anticipating that there are going to be longer term structural problems with this industry.
5: Yes, exactly. When Bosch decided to uh, start the uh, production uh, of the facility in 2018, they already were anticipating that um, there will be more digitalisation, there will be more demand for semiconductors, and that was quite early. Um, nobody really foresaw that big change um, of the industry. But one thing was clear already by then: that Germany looked into uh, automation automi- and digitalisation of the industry. And Everybody needs semiconductors. So here in Dresden, we call it the Silicon Valley of Germany. There are a couple of companies actually producing semiconductors. It's not just Bosch. It's also Global Foundries who has a plant here. Infineon is producing semiconductors. So there is sort of a think tank uh, um, structure also surrounding them. The university is very strong in, in developing um, and uh, yeah, educating people when it comes to engineering um and that is of course of course catering as well to that industry when i yesterday i went to the opening of the official opening of the plant where also frank walter steinmeier the german president was um was and, and was talking about the need of having that resources also in europe and in germany i caught up with the board member responsible for exactly that sort of business harald kröger i had to ask him so why and how did they decide to set up that factory here?
4: The fact that we that we actually um, started this plant, uh, to build this plant a couple of years ago, shows that we actually expected the demand to go up dramatically. Uh, and this is the reason why we did this decision. However, the specific situation that we're in right now has a couple of uh, uh, use uh, r- basic causes for that uh, and one thing of course is that we have a huge boost in demand that nobody expected a year ago we are still in the corona blues uh, sales were down in car industry for example um and since then the 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 um the sales have gone up in consumer electronics as in car industry dramatically so that's the first root cause and then of course we had a couple of um Um, strikes that hit us um, with a winter storm in Texas, with a fire in an important semiconductor plant in Japan, as well now with the uh, corona shutdowns in Malaysia where a lot of important back-end plants are sitting. How long will the semiconductor shortage last, in your opinion? I think we'll need to be working on this uh, a bit longer. Uh, It's a tough exercise that we'll have, I think, at least way into 22. And everybody's working on that, uh, on high intensity, starting with the semiconductor people, as well on our side, as well with the OEMs to get over this. Um, of course, I hope that the high demand that we're experiencing stays stable, because that's good news. And now we need to ramp up supply so we can fulfill that demand.
5: So one of the biggest and also most influential industries in Germany is, of course, the car industry. And we have seen production plants actually shutting down because there were too uh, few semiconductors available in order to produce the cars, which, uh, of course, is a big problem for those car manufacturers here on the ground. Bosch is a major supplier to the German car industry. And so I also had to ask Karat Kröger what he thinks about demand from the car industry, whether this will actually hold up also in the future. Take a listen.
4: As Bosch, we are very strongly into into uh, driver assistance systems. Um, uh, we, we think um, there's a huge demand, and every car that gets smarter needs more semiconductors, so very much pushing for that, as well for all the connectivity that we want to have in the cars. Um, we think um, that that is a big future, and if you talk about the, about the powertrain, Bosch is very strong on combustion engines, but we have a very strong footprint on electrical drives as well. Electrical powertrain is a strong position and needs very powerful um, uh, semiconductors uh, to be efficient to get more range out of each kilowatt hour of battery. So uh, we're investing into that heavily.
5: Being in Germany, the car industry is so important. So do you feel that the car industry in Germany is doing whatever is needed to also safeguard supply of semiconductors?
4: As a team, I, I say it as a team, starting with the semiconductor manufacturer, with the tier one, like us, with the OEM. As a, te- as a team, we need to sit together and ask uh, for the future operating system. Is there a better way to have longer lead times in the, I I think what we need is having more stock uh, on some parts uh, because basically some of those semiconductors need six months to be produced. So you cannot run on a system that has uh, like every two weeks you get a new order uh, that doesn't work. And I think in the past that has been managed Sometimes quietly, it was sometimes very tight and has been quietly managed with the, with squeezing out the pipeline, uh, supply pipeline. But the, we need to think about what is a better way to, to increase the stock level on some critical parts and by that creating more stability.
5: So um roughly in an hour's time, or not even an hour's time, we are going to see the detailed GDP numbers for the second quarter. And again, I guess there again we'll hear from the statistical office that the German economy is still doing quite well, but the bottlenecks are the serious problem uh, for the manufacturing space at least. So essentially bottlenecks when it comes to primary products such as uh, semiconductors, but even wood, uh, lumber. And m- plastic is in short supply for certain industries, and companies start to really complain about the high material costs as well, and this is all dampening the economic outlook as well. But here we're going to also speak with um, a professor from the uh, um, from an institute about the outlook of the semiconductor industry and whether Germany is actually uh, ahead of the competition and whether we can have that competence or uh, excellent centre here as well in Germany when it comes to future innovations. And um, of course, the outlook will very much depend on how much groundwork can be done in, in Germany and whether we can also finance these um, with venture capital. One big other topic as well for, um, for research and development here on the ground.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.